I'm going to try and condense a bit what I was going to say this morning because I think it was important to give space to God for, and the Holy Spirit to what he wanted to do, isn't it? Yeah. Much more important than, than following our agenda. You know, if we, if we talk about these things, we've got to be serious about these things. Um, we can't say we want the Holy Spirit to move in our church and in our lives and then stop him every time he does or sort of compact him down into our timescales. So I wanted to wrap up this uh, series that I've been talking about, about um, the Holy Spirit and rediscovering the power of the Spirit. And so what I'm going to do is I'm I'm just going to give us a little refresher from kind of a little, from a different angle and then I'm going to relate it to something that happened this morning because I just happened to have kind of notes and stuff with me because I didn't quite have it all in a, a logical order this morning, which is really interesting, uh, about how the Holy Spirit helps us to reach others, to reach those outside the kingdom, to reach those who are hurting, in need, in pain, uh, whether they're believers or unbelievers. And so... We've kept saying that in making disciples, Jesus' aim wasn't just that he'd have a band of followers. Jesus wasn't actually into growing numbers. In fact, you know, when, when you compare uh, Jesus to sometimes the way we view things, when you compare him to a mega church, Jesus had a very, very mini church. And when we choose to follow Jesus, we're actually choosing to follow a mini church pastor. Because what he wanted was the glory to go to the Holy Spirit and not to the men. And so he was teaching them in the ways of the kingdom. And what he wanted was for them to move in the ways of the kingdom with the power of the Spirit in the same way as he was moving. So he spent a lot of time talking to them about that. But more importantly than that... The thing that he was emphasising most and modelling to them most was the need to find the greatest treasure of all. And the greatest treasure of all is relationship with God. We can have our ideas what what a treasure is, what we like, you know, what what, what we set our hearts on, what we want for our lives, what we want, you know, in terms of finances, in terms of like house and car and all that sort of stuff. But Jesus turns around and he says, the greatest treasure of all is relationship. And it's relationship with me. So the greatest treasure we're after is relationship. So Jesus spent quite a lot of time explaining to them how that relationship works. And I think this is just like really massive. And it's so big that when I started writing this... And, and coming up with this little mini-series, it actually has become bigger and bigger what God has been showing me. So I'm actually going to return to it at the start, of the, at, early in the new year. So we're going to come back on, on, on to this. But everything that Jesus did was based on two principles. And actually, I just read it, because I've written it down here, and I'm really excited that the Holy Spirit actually showed us it and spoke it out this morning. So the principles that everything Jesus did was based on relationship with the Father, number one. Number two principle, obedience. 
from a desire to please the Father. So relationship with the Father and obedience from a desire to please the Father. And what I'm not, t- when, I, when you say that word obedience, and I think I touched on this last week, we can get all eebie and go, well, you know, I don't have to follow anything. He said, I thought, we, you know, that's not grace, that's not this, that's not that. And we get all bothered. But Jesus isn't talking about obedience to rules. He's not talking about being religious. He's not talking about, you know, uh, following all these things in sacrificing bulls and all that sort of stuff. He's not even, at that point, he's not even talking about the Ten Commandments. What he's talking about is a new way of living called the New Covenant of the New Testament. And he's talking about a new way of relating God that is possible now because of what he did at the cross and because we now have the Holy Spirit living inside us and with us. And that relationship, when he talks about obedience, is very difficult, different from what we sometimes get when we use that word obedience. So I'm going to read you a, a passage you know, from Romans chapter 7 that I read last week just to make that clear. Now we are discharged from the law and have terminated all intercourse with it. What could be clearer than that? Paul is writing to the Romans and he's saying, we have nothing to do with the law. If you, if you think this can, can be condensed to a set of rules uh, and, and your own willpower taking you through, you are mistaken. Because... That's what Israel tried for thousands of years and failed at. So we now have a different way of relating to God. And having died to what once restrained and held captive, so now, say now, now we serve not, say not, not under obedience to the old code of written regulations. That's the law. But... Under obedience to the promptings of the Spirit in newness of life. So what are we trying to follow? What, when, we, when we cast our crowns, when we lay down our lives, when we bow low like we did this morning, what, what, what are we bowing low to? We're bowing low to God. But he's a God who speaks to us. A God who shares his heart with us, a God who, who prompts us, a God who's at work in a dynamic way in our life, who's asking us to listen to him and, and to do what we hear and to say what we hear. So, Jesus invested first and foremost in relationship. Um. And the way that Jesus carried out that relationship was through the Holy Spirit with his Father. And that's what he's asking us to do the same. To carry out our relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. And in that relationship, Jesus was very careful to do some things. He was very careful to hear the Father's heart. He was very careful to see what he saw the Father's doing. He's very careful to get God's plans and God's timing (coughs) and God's perspective and God's understanding on situations. And we talked about that last week, didn't we? When we talked about prayer, getting God's perspective on things. Now, let's take that a step further. These are the words of Jesus himself. 
Okay, I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. That's, that's expanded, you know. It's basically the King James, but with a bit of explanation. So, here's, how it, here's what Jesus says. I am able to do nothing for myself, independently of my own accord. But oh, Sorry, this is John 5.30. But only as I am taught by God and as I get his orders. Even as I hear, I judge. As the voice comes to me, so I give a decision. And my judgment is right, just and righteous, because I do not seek or consult my own will. I've no desire to do what's pleasing to myself, my own aims, my own purposes, for only the will and pleasure of the Father who sent me. So, so Jesus is saying something absolutely incredible here. He's saying, I have no desire to do what I want. My desire is to live for my Father. And and I'm going to be careful and purposeful about hearing what he's got to say. And there's, there's something fantastic comes out of that. I don't know if you noticed it, but what he's saying is, when you don't understand, when you haven't got all the facts, when you, you can't see everything, when you've got decisions to make, when you've got judgments to make, when you, you're dealing with relationships, when you're dealing with all sorts of complicated factors, he's saying, if you listen to the Father, your judgment as to what to do will be right. Wouldn't that save us a lot of screwing up, a lot of things, if we got that? That by listening to God, we can get in a place where our judgment, our, our, you know, our, our decision making is a lot better and causes a lot more damage and causes a lot of positives. Turns, turns what the enemy meant for bad to good. And Jesus said, this is how I do it. I just do what the Father tells me. And as a result of that, the judgment calls I make are right. They're the best you can come up with. And then he goes on and says this. This is in John 15. He's saying something really special. And I want you to read this and think about this because he's talking to his disciples. But he's also talking to you directly. And he says this, I do not call you servants or slaves any longer. You see, the disciples had this mentality which came from all the, the, the old covenant and the way people related to God, that they were slaves to God. They just were, he, was, he was king, he was dominant, he was everything, and they either were in obedience or disobedience with him, and they were either good slaves or bad slaves, good servants or bad servants. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. We, we, we don't do it like that. You might have thought... That that's the way it was. But things are changing around here. And things are changing for us. You see, some of us, we, we can get this idea that, that you know, we just need to um, do loads of good things and, and God will be really pleased with us. Well, he'll kind of be pleased with us, but it's not because we did all the good things to earn he's been pleased with us. He, he does, what, what he's, he's saying is, actually, I want to treat you and relate to you on a different basis. I don't want to be, I don't, this is Jesus, I don't want to find myself anymore in the position 
of feeling like I'm bossing you around and you feeling like I'm bossing you around. And he's saying that to us right now. I don't want you seeing yourself as a slave who's bossed around. And if you don't, get, if you, if you don't do what he says, you're in trouble. I don't, he's saying, I don't want you to see me like that anymore. Instead, I want you to see me as your friend. The servant or the slave does not know what his master's doing or working out. But a friend does. A friend's in on the plan. A friend's in on the ideas. A friend's in on what God is trying to do. A friend understands where God's coming from and where he's trying to get to. Because he, he can see and his God has shared his heart with him on what he's working out. And that's so much better than us trying to work it out. You see, we, we often will use words and words mean different things to different people. So when we say we're living for God's glory, for many of us that translates in, my, in, in, in our heads, I'm doing all these things in order that God will be pleased with me and God's kingdom will come about. Now, there's nothing wrong with the things that have been done. But Jesus is saying, this is more about you knowing what I'm working out than what you're working out. What I'm working on, not what you're working on. And when you get what I'm working out, and I've got the opportunity to share it with you and talk to you about it, and share my heart on it, it'll produce really different results. You know, we, we, we spend millions and millions and millions of pounds every year in the kingdom of heaven in the UK in going to conferences and doing all sorts of things and building big buildings and doing all sorts of stuff because we think it's the right thing to do. But God says, I'm working stuff out, so you need to actually know what I'm working out. If I'm working out that, that's a good thing to do. If I'm not working out that, then don't do it. Get, get on track with what I'm on, where you are. You see, whether we can see it yet or not, whether we're participating in it yet or not, whether we're partnering with it yet or not, God is working something out outside these walls in, in Cambridge, Ely, Haverhill, you know, even in Over. He's, he's, he's active in over. You know, he's working stuff out. And, and what he's saying is, I want you to really be with me in that. I want you to join me in it. Because this is where the exciting stuff is, guys. This is where the exciting stuff is. I want you to join me in this. And the reason he's saying you can be my friends is that I'm going to... I have made known to you everything I've heard from the Father. I have revealed to you everything that I've learnt from him. So that's Jesus talking to the disciples. So how do, how do we get in that same position? Well, we get in the same position because he's given us the Holy Spirit. So the same Spirit who was in Christ at the time he's saying that is now living in us. And this is what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do when he came. And he came to live in us and he came to... Came to, to um, be with us 
And it's John 16, 30. But when he, the spirit of truth, the truth-giving spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. That is the whole and full truth. For he will not speak his own message on his own authority. Isn't that amazing? The Holy Spirit, who is fully God, doesn't speak on his own authority. He, the Holy Spirit isn't coming up with his ideas and his, his plans. He's listening to God's ideas, God the Father's ideas and God the Father's plans, and he's relaying them. And he said, be like me. I think Nicola had that line in her uh, talk a few weeks ago, like, do this, do this, be like Bob. So what, what the Holy Spirit's saying, Jesus is saying, is the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to tell you to be like me which is to listen for the voice of the Father, which I'm going to tell you what he's saying. Be like me. He'll tell you whatever he is from the Father, and he'll give you the message that's been given to him. He will announce and declare to you the things that are to come and will happen in the future. Now, remember I said God's working some stuff out. He's working on some things. He's working on some plans. He's working on some ideas. He's working on some strategies. And right now, as a result of what we prayed this morning, he's working on a lot of hearts out there. Because if we believe what we prayed this morning and we had faith in that, he's working right now on hearts. He's right now preparing a harvest field. He's right now drawing people in because we prayed. And so he's working on stuff. Now, wouldn't it be great if we knew what was coming? Wouldn't it be great if, if we, 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 we saw how the plan panned out? And he's saying the Holy Spirit's going to show you. And he's going to show you some pitfalls. And he's going to show you some, some potholes not to go down. Because he's working some stuff out and you need to know what it is. Because he doesn't want you to be working along with him going, going in blind. Are you still with me? Are you getting this? Is this okay? Is this good? We're yeah. still awake? Yeah. Good. Right. So I, I, I'm listening to all this. I'm writing this down. You know, doing my, my, my favourite... I don't go to the coffee shop every morning now. Sometimes I sit in our caravan on our drive because it's cheaper than the coffee shop. I'm getting sadder. <laughs> but it's a very holy place, our caravan. <laughs> very holy place. And I, I'm, I'm listening to it. I'm looking at all this. And I ask myself a question. Why did Jesus lead... Such a radical, world-changing, perspective-shifting life and ministry. Why? How, how, how did that happen? What, what was it about what Jesus did that made it so radical that we're still talking about it over 2,000 years later and it's still affecting the world? How about that? A legacy that affects the world 2,000 years after you, you're not here anymore. Well, if, we, if it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, then the potential for that is in everyone here. To leave a legacy for my life that is still impacting this world 2,000 years later. So what was it that, that Jesus was doing? What was it that he was about that caused that, 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 that led to that? Yeah, and 
I just want you to not dismiss something. I don't. I, I just want you to go. Well, this isn't because he was God. Because it's easy to say, well, that was Jesus. He was special, and he was special. And it's even easier to say, well, that was the disciples and they'd been with Jesus and they were special people because Jesus picked them. And they were special people and Jesus did pick them. However, Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, now lives in you and you're a special person. So we can't have that excuse. We need to look at what Jesus did. And this is what, this is what he did. What was it about Jesus that made him so radical? And I want to suggest to you, it wasn't what he said and it wasn't what he did. It was because he was captivated by the heart of the Father. He was captivated by God. He, he, was, he was full of love for his Father. And, and when, you, when you come from that position, you get yourself in a place where, where Jesus lives this radical, body-healing, heart-changing, lost-reaching, demon-delivering life. And it's because he's an expression of the heart that has captivated him. I'll just let you dwell on that. So if that's the case, what is the fundamentals of this radical Jesus sort of life? That's a word you're going to hear a lot more of, particularly at the start of the new year, this word radical. Because I don't think Cheryl was mistaken when she used that for her ladies group. But I believe God wants to expand it to all of us to be radical people. And radical means living the Jesus will change in sort of life. So what was it? What's the fundamental of that? Here's the fundamental. And I'd like to make it really easy on you. So I'm only going to ask you to do one thing. Just say, I've only got to do one thing this morning. It's better than three points, isn't it? I've only got to do one thing this morning. And here's the thing. From the outset, from right now, you commit in your heart to believe whatever Jesus says. You commit in your heart to believe whatever Jesus says. Um, there's a, an American uh, preacher, author, he's called David Platt, and he wrote this. It's a tragic mistake to come to Jesus and say, let me hear what you've got to say and then I'll decide whether I like it or not. It's a tragic mistake to come to Jesus on that basis because we'll never hear Jesus clearly if we come to him on that basis because we've already decided that whatever Jesus says is subject to the filter of whether I like it or not, whether it fits my life or not, whether it works for me or not or whether I can see it working for me or not. And and it, it's tragic that we, we take up that heart position. And so if you approach Jesus that way, you're never truly going to hear what he's got to say. 
Here's the point I'm making. You have to say yes before you hear. You've got to say yes before you hear. And then you commit to obey what you've heard because you're following the promptings of the Holy Spirit, aren't you? That's your obedience. So the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and you're going to commit to do what he says and do the things you see him do. You see, how can I put this? I'm trying to be gentle but still be straight. God just says, just be normal, all right. (laughs) The gospel is not intended to prompt you to mere reflection or study or even prayer. The gospel is meant to prompt you to a response in your heart. And when we, we say, right, okay, I, I want to I engage with this sort of stuff. I want to engage with hearing the, the voice of Jesus. I want to engage with, with, with understanding God's heart, seeing things from his perspective. And when we, when we engage like that, in the process of doing that, we get compelled to look at our own lives. And in looking at our own lives, God shapes our hearts. It's kind of a, a bit of a virtuous circle. So when we engage with God, he engages with us and shapes our hearts. And that's the really exciting bit, because we get to look more like Jesus. And that's kind of cool. So what I wanted to do, really, just kind of almost like a response to what God did this morning, is to just go back and reflect on a couple of things we looked at earlier in the year about how this filters through reaching the lost just a specific application of it and when we talk about reaching the lost we usually have a couple of questions more more than any other question forget all the pre-prepared things we've learned and all this all the, the courses we've been on on evangelism because really if they were kind of working for us the world would be full of christians so we need to have a bit of a different thing and go, well, as, is God working out a plan I just need to get part of? And maybe that's a lot more powerful than me trying to rehearse something 17 times and the moment I get an opportunity to do it, I just freeze because I can't remember which of the 17 alternatives I should go for right at this moment because I've only got 30 seconds in a lift. And, and we, we, we get ourselves stuck. And we get ourselves stuck about... Around two questions. When do I say something and what do I say? When do I say something and what do I say? They're good questions, aren't they? So right now, you go, you, a, lot, a lot of us are going, I know. And a lot of us are going, I haven't a clue. I haven't a clue when to say something and what I've got to say. But I feel under pressure to say it. Here's the thing, when you're partnering with the Holy Spirit, you never feel under pressure because you're just doing what he told you to do. And it's his problem. Like I said, it's not your problem to convict people. It's not your problem to get people born again. It's your problem to do what God told you to do. And he's told you to do what? 
He's told you to hear his voice and do what he tells you to do. It's, that, it's simple. But we have to take a step back and start putting our time and focus into getting better at hearing his voice more clearly. And less time and focus in the, into the mechanics of how to do something. So, when do you speak? James 1, 19 says this, and it's a verse that I think anybody who's been on like the, the preaching course that we, we've been doing knows because it, we use this as an exercise, as a, a brilliant preach just all, on this single verse. But I'm not, and it's 37 minutes long, but I'm not going to do 37 minutes on the verse. The verse is this, James 1, 19, and, it, and it's an absolutely fantastic verse, full of brilliant advice, and it says this, So then, my beloved brethren... Let every man, say every man, and woman, that includes me. No, you have to say that, that includes me, that includes me. Here's what we have to do. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Swift to hear, slow to speak. Let's try that. Swift to hear, slow to speak. It's a kingdom principle. The kingdom works 90% by listening. Listening to the voice of God and listening to the voice of others. That, you know, like when it says slow to speak, you know, our natural tendency because the world's speeded up a lot, is to blurt stuff out. Because if we don't blurt it out now, we might never get another chance, you know. And what, what, what James is saying here is that the emphasis in the kingdom is on listening. And that word listening means to, to give audience to, to uh, seek to understand, to come and wait for the purpose of hearing a report. So he's saying you should be really quick to do that and engage in that sort of activity if you're living out the kingdom. And so what, what he's saying is that, you know, it's really easy to just feel like you, you're under pressure. You've got to get this conversation over to Jesus, onto Jesus, get in there, blurt it out, do your presentation and say, if you don't do this, you're going to hell. Would you like to say a prayer with me? And when you've said the prayer, would you like to say that, sign the card so I can count the card and put it on Facebook? Would you like to do that? And, and it's kind of, we've got ourselves there. And, it, and it's sad. And what, what he's, he's saying is, actually, no, 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 no. Hang on. If you really want to know what it means to walk with the heart of God, it starts here, slow to speak. And that's not a new principle. It's not a new idea. It's right through the book of Proverbs. You know, uh, there's a, uh, Proverbs 18.13 says this, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it's folly and shame to him. And it just like, I was reading that, the first, I was reading it again this week, and it just like really hit me how many times and how long we spend in church learning answers to questions that absolutely nobody is asking out there. We bother about all sorts of stuff that nobody's asking. 
just in case one day they might ask and we might get a coat a bit short. Well, I'll come on to what happens if that, that does happen to you and one day you get caught a bit short. But that's not the priority. The priority is slow to speak. You see, many people, in fact, I would say in the society we live in now, most people are just desperate for somebody to listen to them. Because nobody's listening. Everybody's telling. You don't find people going on social media and on Facebook saying, I'm a listening ear. You get people going on and telling you. Telling you all sorts of opinions on all sorts of things. And people really just want to be listened to. They want somebody to engage with them a bit more deeply then how's today been? Fine. Yeah, okay. So John came and asked me this morning. He, walked, he was walking up and he said, how's your week been? And what did I say? Busy. And we engaged in a conversation about what's happened this week. Now, that's much better than fine, isn't it? And John stood there, bless him, and listened to me. I, I love John. He listens to me. You know, we chat and he listens and I listen to him. And that's a real relationship, isn't it? And that's what people are interested in. I could tell you quite a lot of stories here, but I'll just try and do one really quickly. Because I'm conscious that I don't want to stretch it out too long. But... Some of you heard this story, but it's kind of a couple of years ago now, so you might, might not remember it. But I was driving over towards Camborne, and I was on the 428. I think I even got past Caldicott. I was nearly at Camborne. And I was kind of doing a little bit of a worship time in my car, you know, singing at the top of my voice so nobody can hear me. Um, that's why we have the worship, you know, that's why we have speakers. It's not so you guys can hear it, it's so you can't hear me. And I really, just in my car, I had this like overwhelming sense and impression in my heart. I was going in the wrong direction. And so I, I kind of pulled over and I said, God, what, what do you want me to do? And, I really, and this was really weird. It's just like, I just had this real sense that I needed to, you know, when you listen to God and you just can't, there was this like, this thing kept coming in my head. And it's not because I'm obsessed with coffee. But I just, this thing kept coming in my head that I needed to go to Starbucks on Newmarket Road and get coffee. Now, Starbucks, Newmarket Road is completely the opposite direction to Campbell. So I went and I'm sat there and I'm going, okay, God, I've, I've tried to follow you. What, what do you want me to do? And this, this young girl, she came down and sat at the end of this, this you know, long bench table and gets a coffee and she starts reading this book. She's about six, seven pages in. And the book's called This Present Darkness, which is a Christian book from like 20 years ago, something like that. And so I said, okay, God, uh, is, this what you want, is this what you want me to talk about? And so I kind of said hi to her and I said, are you enjoying the book? And she said, well, I don't know yet, really. I've only read six pages. Somebody gave me it because I was coming across to Cambridge for the day to bring a friend who's got a dance exam. So I've got two hours and somebody gave me this book and said, you'll like this book. And, and so I, I, 
I've just started to read it. And so I talked to her about when I'd read the book and I said, are you kind of interested in, in God? Is that, you know, are you part of a, a church? Oh, I used to be years ago. My mum and dad, they were the pastors of the church, but this happened and this happened and that happened and I don't want anything more to do with God. I said, oh, you're going to enjoy that book then. <laughs> <laughs> and so we just sat there for about an hour and I shared with her about God and about his heart for her and, and his love for her and that, you know, he, God restores relationships. And I said, you know, just go read the book, read it all. And so she disappeared. And then one year later, almost to the day, I got a text. Because what I'd done is I'd given her my card for, to give to her parents who live over in Ipswich and are still in ministry. And one year later, I got a text saying, by the way, I listened to what you said, I read the book, come back to Christ, I'm now leading the youth in my mum and dad's church. Just thought you'd like to know. So we have to listen to God, slow to speak, quick to listen. So first thing is listen to others. Just because somebody needs to know the gospel doesn't mean you've got to tell them by hitting them straight with it. You know, we, we, we do come across as angry, I have to say, and we do come across as, as very extremist because we do push. We, 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 we push the gospel instead of listening. The gospel connects with where people are, wherever they are. The Holy Spirit can make that connection. We don't have the wisdom to do it, so he needs to connect it. So we listen to others, and the second thing we do is we listen to the Holy Spirit. This is what makes evangelism not just possible, but easy. We listen to the Holy Spirit. You remember I said the two questions. When do I, speak, when do I say something? And what do I say? So having listened, we now ask, what do you want me to say? And just assuming they come out with some sort of esoteric discussion on, uh, I don't know, predestination, elect, elect, election, or the total depravity of man. You know, some sort of weird thing that you've rehearsed 14 times, just in case anybody asks you, you've got an answer for it. Just in case that, forget it. Because the likelihood is that whatever you say isn't what they need to hear. What they need to hear is what the Holy Spirit knows they need to hear in response to what they've just said. And so... You, we shouldn't be worrying about what if I get a question I can't answer. Because almost everything, we're not going to answer. The Holy Spirit's going to answer. And often he'll come left field and he'll do something you weren't expecting. And wouldn't have happened if you'd given the answer. Listen to this. Luke 12, what, verses 11 and 12. Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, high-pressure situation, you, 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 you've got the enemy there about to judge you. When you come in that situation, do not worry. Don't worry. Say, don't worry. I'm not a worrier. About, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you're going to say. Isn't that cool? 
you're like standing on trial or you're in a really difficult situation or you've confronted with a, a, a you know, just a, a question you don't know the answer to and there's the Holy Spirit and he's going to give you what to say. Isn't that cool? You know, uh, I guess it was about a year ago now, I was sat down in the cafe in the Clay Farm Centre. Um, we'd just been doing some filming for like one of the, the daily series things. And there was a lady there. I didn't see her come in, but she, I'd, I'd met her years ago at AIU. And she was, she was sat there and she was reading. And I went over to talk to her, said hi. You know, we, we knew each quite well. Started talking and, and said, she said, oh, it's a great book, this. I said, oh, right, what is it? Oh, it's a book of chakras. So when she'd explained to me what chakras are, they're kind of like Eastern. Uh, well, anybody know what chakras are? They're, like, they're, they're basically like chants and things that people do and it connects them spiritually and, and the principles and the kind of an Eastern religion thing. And I, I'm going like, okay. And she said, I really think this is me. You know, I'm a very spiritual person. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm contacting the spirits. I feel like I'm in touch with the higher spirit. I said, right, okay. And I'm going like, God. <laughs> now, here's what I would have normally done. What I would have done before is, head on, you're not contacting God, you're contacting the enemy. Straight in, telling out, this is really unhealthy, burn that book now, you know, that sort of thing. That's a younger me. That's an unshaped me. So what my response was, God, what would, what would that new me you're trying to shape me into respond to this? And he said... Ask her about a son. Okay, that's really left field as an answer, isn't it? Remember, we're trying to say only what we hear. So I asked her about her son. And she said, oh, he's having a really difficult time at the moment. He's a teenager. And he's got Asperger's. And he's making it just awful for him at school. The other kids have been picking on him. He's not learning anything. He's just, just really struggling. And I said... That's really sad. I think we can help. I think we can help. On a Monday night, in this very building, we have a meeting that is great for people on the autistic and Asperger spectrum. Would he like to come along? Because we can help him. I would not have got there by telling her that she was in contact in evil spirits. Even if, it, even if it's right, it doesn't do any good. So you can be technically right and achieve nothing. To achieve something, we have to do what the Holy Spirit gives us to do. So there's these two principles. Listen to others and then listen to the Holy Spirit. Do what you see him doing and say what you hear him saying. They are the keys to reaching this nation for Christ. How do I know they're the keys? Because that's what Jesus told us to do. He spent his whole life demonstrating this is what you do. This is how it works. And you know, when, when they, in the New Testament, when uh, Peter and, and John have they've healed the, uh, the cripple at the gate and the cripple starts dancing and shouting and creating a big kerfuffle and loads of people come because they've seen him at the gate for years. 
and then they hold Peter and John before the authorities. And Peter and John get like hauled over the coals by the authority, and they tell them, "You, you, you can't. Um, you know, we can't deny we've seen a miracle here. We can't deny that." That, that happened and they asked the guy who's been doing all the shouting and dancing who got healed wow did that happen they say by the name of jesus he healed me and so what they do is they ban them from using jesus's name and peter says whether it's right to follow you or god is the question and so what's their response having been threatened with being locked up if they ever mention jesus's name again what do they do they go back, they go back to all the other followers of Jesus and say, hey guys, we're going to get the Holy Spirit on this. We're going to hear what he's got to say. And they pray. And this is what they pray. Here we go. Now, Lord, look on their threats. And grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. By stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So what do they do? They pray for boldness to speak the word. And they ask God to do some signs and miracles to back it up. And we, we find out that, that as a result of that, the whole building's shaken and the Holy Spirit comes again. And, and the, 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 the many more multiplication is added to their number. So they're in a situation where it is forbidden to speak Jesus' name and yet the kingdom comes. Why? Because they speak his word. What is speaking his word? Because we make a leap here that they haven't got. Because they ain't got the New Testament. The only word they have is what the Holy Spirit speaks to them. So what they're praying there is, give us the words to say. Just like Jesus said, when they take us before the authorities, when people betray us, when the magistrates and authorities to come, you have promised to give us your word. Now, what do we need? We need the boldness to speak it. Boldness. Isn't that an exciting word? It's kind of like an SAS sort of word, isn't it? Saved and sanctified sort of word. (laughs) Boldness. Set apart. That's what sanctified means. We're set apart for Christ. We're bold. We're courageous. It's our natural disposition. It's the enemy that tells us that we shouldn't be and he tries to back us into corners and tell him what we can and can't say. Boldness. To speak the word. The word that we heard the Holy Spirit tell us to say. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for for us all now. I'm going to pray for boldness. So if you like a bit of boldness and you're willing to listen to the Holy Spirit and you're willing to do those couple of things that I said were the fundamentals about committing, putting your yes before you're here and then responding, then I'm going to pray for you. Okay, so can we stand?